This episode is brought to you by Hostfully, a company that helps you make beautiful guidebooks for your listing. Make your own at hostfully.com pad. And as a special for Get Paid for Your Pet listeners, you get a free guidebook consultation after you make your guidebook. Welcome to Get Paid for Your Pad, the definitive show on Airbnb hosting, featuring the best advice on how to maximize profits from your Airbnb listing, as well as real-life experiences from Airbnb hosts all over the world. Welcome. We are your hosts, Josefa Kapadia and Jasper Rivers. Get paid for your pad. 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 Welcome to episode 107 of Get Paid for Your Pad. And today we have a really cool, interesting guest. Uh, his name is Hao Tran. Hao, welcome to the show. Thanks, Jasper. And uh, I haven't actually talked to Hao that much. I don't really know that much about him. So we're going to find all, find out all about him. But he's, uh, he's Airbnb hosted in San Francisco. And he's currently living in Vietnam, in Ho Chi Minh City, where he's also doing Airbnb. So it should be a really interesting conversation. So uh, Hao, uh, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. So. I graduated uni two years ago. I'm a Bay Area, California native. Um, went out east to the East Coast for school and then came back. And uh, I guess my first uh, kind of adventure into Airbnb was during the London Olympics. I was a guest on Airbnb and I stayed with this Korean family. Uh, the parents lived in Korea. The, the kids lived in London and they had a spare room and stayed with them. Um, ended up having an amazing Airbnb experience. And, and after that, um, I actually ended up studying abroad in London for the whole year and lived with them. But um, after that kind of experience, I decided to uh, hope become a host after I graduated, and that's kind of what happened when I moved back to San Francisco. And did you did you start out renting a spare room or a full apartment? Yeah. So I, as most people probably know, San Francisco is one of the most expensive cities in the world now, and as as a new graduate on a new graduate salary, it's pretty difficult to live uh, in your own studio. To give you you and your listeners an idea, probably like a studio in San Francisco is a minimum of $3,000 now. So I had to rent a, a room in a house uh, for $1,500 a month. And given the nature of my job, I was traveling quite a bit. So I was able to list my apartment, or rather my room, whenever I was traveling. Um, and I was lucky enough to be able to cover all my costs, uh, even though I was only listing it probably 50% of the time. Um, and so I did that for about a year. And then uh, once I you know, got a salary raise and was more comfortable uh, having more liability, I guess you can say, I found a two-bedroom flat in the Mission District of San Francisco. Uh, and keep in mind, on both occasions, I was actually able to get the landlord permission to Airbnb. I guess I played the sympathy card as a new graduate and the landlords were happy to, to give me that um, ability. Uh, but yeah, I, I d ended up doing that for a year as well, and it, it really paid off for me. I met a ton of people. I hosted a ton of people that were relocating to San Francisco, business people. Those are the kinds of people that I was hosting, usually. And so when you rented out that, that first room, you, you're, you're saying uh, you got permission from the landlord, but were there other people in the apartment? Yeah, so that was kind of funny because 
uh, I like to call that first house that I lived in full house 2.0. Um, and I'll give you kind of a few reasons why. Um, it was this Victorian style mansion, a Victorian house rather in Hayes Valley, which is a very kind of hipster traditional San Francisco neighborhood. There are very few sky rises. There are no uh, modern buildings. It's all Victorian style houses. And the house was two stories, the family, two gay Mormon dads with two African-American adopted children and a dog named Princess. They lived on the first floor. They were hilarious. They were really a welcoming family. Um, and on the second floor, there are four rooms. So there's me and three others, uh, an Australian study abroad student, another uh, fresh college grad, and then a 30-year-old something like grad student from Venezuela, uh, and then myself. And for some reason, uh, I guess I was the first one to bring up the idea of Airbnb, which they were happy to do and accommodate, I guess, because the nature of the house always had a million people in it. But we, at any given day, somebody was Airbnb and there's always some random person in the house. It's actually kind of a miracle that uh, no one had any like incidents reported or any problems. But I, I guess uh, we were all, you know, hosting good people and everyone was kind of on the same page and uh, everyone was kind of saving money. So it was kind of a good thing for everybody, I guess. And how did you manage that? Like did, the, did those uh, roommates also help you out with checking in the guests and showing them around, et cetera? Yeah. So uh, whenever I traveled for work, I would list my apartment and my immediate next uh, room neighbor, my friend who was also a fresh college grad, I just have him help me out. And whenever he Airbnb his place, I would help him out. Between everyone in the house, there was always somebody available. And I don't know, We I'm a super host on Airbnb as well. So I... I, I I've gotten like 90% five-star reviews. And it was part of the experience for some of our guests. They loved the fact that the house reminded them of like living in old school San Francisco because it was just a really eclectic group of people. And yeah, it was just, it was a great time. I did that for a year before I got my own apartment. Um, I kind of miss it. And uh, it's great, great introduction to San Francisco and hosting on Airbnb as well. So it sounds like you were in quite a unique situation there in that house, but, which was a really like perfect for, for, for Airbnb. No, but we made it work. I think when everyone's kind of, uh, you know, in San Francisco, you can get uh, quite a bit of money for listing a room on Airbnb and um, the supply. I mean, you just, you can see the rent prices. It's like $1,500 minimum for a room, a private room, not even your own apartment. So given that, it's it's uh, the value proposition of Airbnb is really good. Uh, but with that said, landlords are against Airbnb. So if you can find one that can allow it, um, you know, you should you should definitely go for it. And just to get an idea, how much were you charging for that room roughly? Yeah, so I, I was also lucky enough to have worked at another OTA before. I worked at a company called Hotel Tonight. Um, it's a last minute booking app on your mobile phone for hotel rooms. And on this job, I actually learned a lot about supply and demand, um, in particular uh, in cities like San Francisco. So I noticed in San Francisco that during the weekday, prices go up because obviously business travel. So typically Tuesday through Thursday, you can get rates that are double uh, of other days. Um, su- Saturdays and Sundays are typically the weakest. So on a normal day, I'd probably get at least $79 for the room in uh in the Victorian style house 
on a really, really compressed day, or in other words, days that the hotel rooms are sold out, I can probably get about 150. And I might two bedroom flat in the mission, uh, the minimum was 100. And I can get as much as like, I, I remember one week, I got as much as 350 per night for five nights in a row, because uh, there was a conference in San Francisco called Dreamforce. Um, it's an annual conference. There are something like 50,000 plus attendees, and it just sells out the entire city. Even all the neighboring cities are sold out. So um, for a lot of people that are trying to book last minute, there's just nothing available except for Airbnb left. And because of my knowledge of kind of supply and demand, given hotel rooms, I was able to kind of maximize that and still get a five-star review. Actually, the guy that stayed with me during that week gave me a fantastic review. And so you were able to, to pretty much cover your, your full rent by renting yep. out that one spare room. So you're, you're always living for free then. Yeah, sometimes I was making a profit. I So yeah, I'm, I'm a little more, I guess, I guess the best way to put it is more analytical in terms of pricing my room. Um, and for me, it was just kind of fun. You know, I'm, I'm not, not, hopefully I'm not price gouging anyone. I kind of know, you know, what my upper bounds are and I kind of know what my personality and my value is as a host. Um, like I love showing people around. I love people take, taking people out and yeah, I want to be able to demonstrate that value. If I was to charge, you know, $350 a night and my place was a dump, you know, I'm obviously not going to get a good review, but I guess given that I'm a super host, uh, people see value in that. So it's just kind of, um, and you're also kind of the people you're catering, right? So the way that I structured my listing was that I actually only allowed one guest at a time. So anyone that was searching as two as a couple, would, my listing would never appear. And the reason why I did that was because I wanted to host people that were more likely to be business travelers. Uh, they're like less hassle. They um, have more expectations, I think you could say. But given the standard of my listing, I, I was pretty confident I would, you know, achieve those expectations. And yeah, that's kind of how it worked. I got a ton of people relocating from Europe, from Asia that were like working for Uber or Google or, you know, whatever. Um, I had people that uh, like during the Dream of Course convention, they were on a business budget. So they didn't necessarily, they weren't as price sensitive. And uh, yeah, I, I, if you provide those amenities, that service, um, there's no reason why anyone should think you're price gouging. You're just a savvy, you know, uh, Revenue manager, I guess you would say. And did you ask the landlord when you were renting that two bedroom? Did you ask him for permission as well? Yeah, I did. I that was actually my number one criteria because I am lucky enough where my parents live in the Bay Area as well. So if I had to, I could just live at home for a little while before I found my own spot. Um, it took me about three weeks before finding my first spot, and then as soon as I found the second spot, I gave my other landlord notice that I was moving out. Yeah, I would just kind of uh, see what was available, see some, you know uh, a configuration that would allow me to live in the apartment as well as Airbnb the second room. Um, and I actually prefer that. I never Airbnb the entire place because I, I like to meet my guests and um, and in some ways it uh, helps me control the quality better. And so with that said, I you know took a few weeks after it only took me a few weeks each time to find the right apartment. I would basically ask you know the landlord, hey you know, once I got in touch with them in person, like, Hey, you know, I travel X amount percentage for work. I'd love to be able to, um, offset some of my costs by Airbnb. Is this something you're okay with? And 90% of the time people say no, but if you can negotiate with them, be like, Hey, I'm willing to pay, let's say, um, 5% more monthly rent. And for me, that's actually worth it because I, I know, 
the prices that you can get on Airbnb, and uh, it's well worth the additional rent that you may pay. And there are other there are other ways and tactics you can negotiate with landlords. I think you should never take no as the final answer. I think you can negotiate a little bit, um, and if you can offer them a little bit more, if you feel pretty confident that you can get that return, then I, I think it's well worth it. Right, and I think you also have some some good arguments to make to the landlord that the landlord might not have thought about. For example, you know, if you think about the interest of the landlord, obviously his interest is that the place is well maintained, right? Mm -hmm. And so, I mean, if you're hosting guests and, and you want to make good money on Airbnb, one of the most important things is that you always keep the apartment clean and everything looks nice. And, and so I think those interests are almost aligned in that sense. So that, that's cool. So you were able to, uh, to offset your rent living in San Francisco, which is, which is great. And also the, the regulations for renting out a single room are much better than, uh, the regulations or much less strict than the regulations for renting out an entire place. Correct. Exactly. So actually I was able to attend following up to the proposition F vote in San Francisco. I believe this was November of last year. I was actually a frequent guest at Airbnb's headquarters. Uh, like leading up to the vote, they hosted these weekly kind of host sessions and questions about hosting on Airbnb in San Francisco. And I was invited to kind of be on their host panel on a few occasions. And um, the Airbnb team there actually kind of made fun of me at some point because apparently I was the only legitimate uh, renter in the city of San Francisco on Airbnb, because you had to go through a permitting process, you had to get the small business application, short term residential permit, all these kinds of little things. And because physically in my lease, my landlord had said that I could Airbnb, I was able to get those permits. But if you go on Airbnb today, it's just a bunch of illegal listings, um, all completely illegal. Uh, because 90, I'm sure more than a certain percentage of them are renters, not owners. And it's very uncommon to find a landlord that allows a renter to, to do Airbnb legally. So do you think that's going to change in the future where as, as landlords, maybe we'll start understanding Airbnb better and that they become a little bit more uh, positive towards it? I think it really depends on the city. If you're talking about something, some, some place like San Francisco, it's going to be very difficult to change. Um, and that's because things like the Proposition F battle have kind of divided the city. There's a clear kind of division. And, um, you know, to some extent, they're right. I think a lot of people that are on Airbnb are doing it, are abusing the kind of housing system in San Francisco because, you know, some of these landlords in San Francisco, they own like 10 properties, right? And they get so much more value out of Airbnb. And I don't blame them. I, I think, um, you know, we live in a capitalist society and it's, it's out of people's best interest to maximize the return. But in some cases, these landlords have evicted people uh, illegally to you to do Airbnb. And I, I think that's wrong. So, you know, it's kind of a balance. I think some cities where there are there's more housing supply, then it's not not really a problem. But in a place like San Francisco, especially where the perception of Airbnb is somewhat negative, then um, you have to have some sort of regulations in place. And I think the ones that they have are uh, probably a little too strict, but they are fair in some ways. Like I, I do agree that 
uh, renting out entire houses 365 days out of the year or entire apartments is, is kind of bad and makes the situation worse in San Francisco. Um, but if you are kind of more sticking to the traditional uh, Airbnb mission, which is to share private rooms in a house, I think that should be allowed, no question. You know, if I was a homeowner, I own a two-bedroom apartment and I wanted to only rent out one room on Airbnb, I, I feel like I would be um, constrained by the government if I was told I couldn't do that. I think that would be very unfair. Got it. Um, this is interesting because, you know, I'm in Amsterdam where I'm listing uh the uh, local authorities are really cracking down and so I'm looking at alternative solutions and one of the solutions I was looking at was uh, uh, a friend of mine is looking for a place in Amsterdam and I was talking to him about renting out the place to him and then having him list well the other room on Airbnb and that way you know as, as a team as he as him and me I can make more a better return on my investment and also he gets a place uh, for a pretty, uh, you know, reasonable, uh, rate. So, yeah. and I'm sure there's, there's more people thinking about this, this solution where you, you, you know, you're either renting or buying a two bedroom apartment and then putting one on Airbnb. So if you, uh, if you had to give a few pieces of advice to someone who's new to Airbnb and wants to set up this construction, like what, what would it be? Yeah, I, I would probably tell them that, uh, you know, Try to follow the rules as much as possible. I think uh, that just gives you peace of mind and you're a more legitimate host. You're not going to, no one's going to be watching you. You're going to have no problem at all. And I would also say if you're a renter and not a current homeowner, um, it's always worth asking the landlord if you can Airbnb. Um, it, it comes, it kind of depends on where in the cycle you are of negotiating with the landlord. But if they've already, let's say, verbally committed to you that yes, you know, they'd love to, to have you as a renter. And then you can ask the question like, hey, you know, thanks for offering this to me. I'd love to be your tenant. Um, but with that said, can I do Airbnb? Right. You know, they're, they're kind of uh, tips and tactics that you can definitely uh, bring with you to negotiating uh, with the landlord. And I think um, I should probably create a list of this, actually. I actually did put I did make a medium post on it. Um, but anyways, uh, the point is, uh you can always negotiate and it's always better to, to be in line with local regulations rather than doing it illegally because you could get in trouble quite a bit if you get caught. Yep. I think that's, that's great, great advice. And your, your medium post talks about how to negotiate with the landlord. Yeah, I, um, I can give you the link later, but if you go to my medium page, um, it's just at how and Tran. Um, I, I kind of describe, um, what I did, when I went through the process in San Francisco and yeah, it's pretty straightforward. It gives you a couple of tips on how to negotiate and yeah, it worked out for me twice. So. All right, cool. Well, I'll definitely put that link in the, in the show notes so people can find it. I've tried a couple digital guidebook tools these past months and I've decided to use Hostly. I've used Hostly to create an online and printable guidebook to show my guests, my favorite coffee places in town and my listing information. My guest feedback has been great. They use my recommendations and I'm getting few questions from my guests as a result. I've included screenshots of my guidebook on Airbnb as a way to differentiate my listing from others. Make your own guidebook at hostfully.com pad. What about in terms of 
managing the place. Like, for example, let's say you're working and the guest is arriving during the day and you're you're not available to welcome the guest. Like, how do you how do you do it in terms of management? And then the second question I have is, you know, you you, you mentioned you're a super host. So obviously you've done a really good job in providing a great uh, guest experience. So maybe you can touch on that as well, how you did that. Yeah, so um, this is both in San Francisco and in Ho Chi Minh City, Vietnam, which is where I live currently. Um, I have an automated lock system. It's just uh, one of those master padlocks. You know, I put it outside my door and there's a code and I give that code to my guest and the key is released. Um, and luckily, my apartment's pretty straightforward. There's no like going upstairs. There's no uh, secret door. It's just it's pretty clear which room is the Airbnb room. And so that's that's kind of what I do. And I usually tell my guests like, hey, you know, if you, if you want to wait until a certain time, I'll be I'll make myself available. Or if you can do it during a specific time slot in the day, like lunch, then I can stop by. Um, and sometimes I prefer doing in, in-person check-ins, too. It's uh, it gives them a little bit more of a well, warm welcome. Uh, feel, it makes them feel a little more comfortable, especially in a place like Ho Chi Minh City, where uh, most of my guests now, instead of being business travelers, are usually uh, leisure travelers. And uh, a place like Vietnam, where not everyone speaks English or not everyone is comfortable taking the taxi, I think those little things kind of help. So, yeah, it, it kind of depends. But I, I do have an automated system and just like a simple manual for my guests to follow if I wasn't there. Uh, and then as for tips on being an Airbnb super host, I think the number one thing is just always making sure the apartment is as clean as possible. I think that's the number one impression um, when people walk in the door and they, you know, they want to feel like they're at home. And part of that is, uh, you know, feel, feeling like it's a clean space. It's been prepared for them. It's like, you know, as if my grandma was welcoming me home, you know, she's going to make sure that the room is clean, stuff like that. So that, that's probably my number one thing. And I, I would also say, that um, you always want to deliver fantastic value. So if, if you know that you yourself as a host or your the amenities of the apartment are are worth a lot more than, you know, for whatever reason, like for myself, for example, I, I live in the apartment that I Airbnb as well. So I know that I'm always available. I'm all, essentially a concierge if I really needed to be. And I'm always up for going out. So if my guests love being social and they, they want to check out the city with me, I, I try to make myself available. And those are kind of experiences that no one else can deliver, I think, um, especially for travelers to a new city. And people appreciate that. And that's been reflected in a lot of the reviews that I've received. So let's talk about your listing in Ho Chi Minh City. What kind of apartment is Is it a two-bedroom as well? Uh, it's a three-bedroom with uh, two bathrooms. And the Airbnb room has its own private bath. And I share one with the other room. Um, I, I currently have a roommate as well. So between the two of us, it's quite easy to manage the place. And uh, yeah, it's in an apartment tower on the, like, the 15th floor. Uh, it's got fantastic views of the Saigon River and uh, a nice breeze that comes in as well. Um, it's a 24-7 building, so it's really accessible uh, at night. And uh, yeah, it's pretty, pretty uh, no frills. Uh, it's clean. It's easy to get to. It's cheap. The, the kind of rent that I'm paying is ridiculously low, so I can kind of deliver an awesome value to my guests. And uh, I, I, for me, I mostly do it just to meet people. Um, but for me, also, it covers my total rent cost, so it, uh, I can live for free in Ho Chi Minh. So are you, you're renting the entire apartment, and then you're renting out one room to your roommate, and then one room you put on Airbnb. Is that yeah. how it works? 
Yep. And it, that's how it works. And in a place like Vietnam, they don't really pay attention to Airbnb. Um, I don't even think the government knows what it is. <laughs> uh, they've never had any like regulations on home sharing or anything like that. And I, they probably won't for a while. So, right. That's cool. And did you, did you talk to your landlord as well? Um, so in this case, I was a little luckier. It's my friend's place. Um, that I knew, uh, he, he's a Vietnamese national and has had this apartment for a while. So I was able to, to get it from him directly. But if, you know, if you were someone else who didn't know, a landlord in Vietnam, I think uh, people are always uh, okay with it as long as you live there. But if you make it a full-time Airbnb and you don't actually live there, then then it is a problem. So, mm-hmm. and so what what about the the neighbors? Um, I mean, this entire this building is so big that people don't really pay attention. There's always so many people in and out. But I do tell I do tell my immediate neighbors. I'm like, hey, like I occasionally host an Airbnb and I have a lot of friends over. If, if you notice that there's a random person, uh, you know, walking around, it's probably a guest of mine. And I, I, so I make that aware of to my neighbors and they've never had a problem. So, and also that, also that's partially because I do pick and choose my guests a little more than most people. I want to ensure that I have a good experience too, as a host. So I never, I typically never pick anyone that has never host, been a guest on Airbnb before or people that have like few verifications or are lazy and don't put, you know, fill out anything in the profile. I think um, I try to be proactive and choose good guests. So. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. And just out of curiosity, how did you uh, how did you end up in Ho Chi Minh City? Yeah, I, so I lived in San Francisco and worked there for a couple of years, and then I went on holiday to Vietnam about nine months ago. And I, I am Vietnamese American, so I do know the language and I, I do know the fo- food and all the little mannerisms that Vietnamese people have. Uh, but this was my, this is my first time living here. And on that last trip, I met, I met someone through Airbnb, believe it or not, uh, who had also relocated there himself two years before I did. And he was like, yeah, you know, the lifestyle here is really different for someone that's, you know, in the twenties and you can really do a lot of stuff here. I think in a city like San Francisco, your opportunity is limited if, uh, you know, you don't have the right experience level or if you don't have this and that. Uh, but in a place like Vietnam, it's, uh, it's just really wide open. It, there's a lot of opportunity. And if you feel like you can get something done, you, you probably can. And so, you know, I, I took that to heart. And as soon as I got back to San Francisco, I started exploring some opportunities and I found this venture capital fund that was hiring for a role in Vietnam. And so I, I ended up taking, uh, taking that role. That's awesome. And uh, I, was, I was, we were talking about it before we started recording. I spent five or six weeks or so in, in Ho Chi Minh City last year. And uh, that was definitely, you know, probably one of the, in terms of the ratio between how much money I was spending and how much I was enjoying my life, it was probably one of the best places I've ever stayed. Mm. Uh, it was, I mean, I, I was renting a great room for just $350. Uh, for the month in the center of the city and the the food is the food is so great and it's so affordable uh, i was just paying a couple dollars uh, a meal really mm-hmm. and uh it's a great city it's not too busy it's not too busy and crowded you know it's like some other cities like jakarta and bangkok yeah but there's still like quite a lot to do it's uh it, it is packed it, it can be noisy at times but it's not it's not a very uh spread out city it's very compact and very dense like to get right. from city one end of the city to the next 
it's honestly no more than 25, 30 minutes. Um, and that's actually on the far side of things. I, I usually can get around town from one place to the other in 10 minutes. Whereas somewhere like Jakarta, it's like an hour. So it's, it's just miserable. I don't know how people do it out there. Yeah, and it's, uh, I think one of the reasons why it didn't feel as, as hectic as some of the other cities is because everyone's driving scooters instead of cars. Yeah, yeah. So people get around fast, and uh, it's a fast-paced city. Um, I also take bikes myself. And if, if you don't know how to ride a bike, you can actually use Uber or Grab, which is the equivalent of Uber in Southeast Asia. Um, they actually have an option where you can call a motorbike now. So if you didn't want to take a car, you can take a motorbike, and it's um, it's really affordable. It's really fast. The drivers are awesome. I've never had a problem. Right. Yeah. No, I actually, I actually rode a scooter in in Ho Chi Minh, and I'm uh, I'm very careful with driving scooters and motorbikes, uh, especially in in countries where I'm not familiar with, because I've on my travels I've met so many people who had accidents. Uh, you know, and I think in Thailand they even call it a natural tattoo. If you if you've had a motorbike accident and you've you've had some sort of like a, you know some sort of damage to your skin, mm-hmm. and so I've always been very wary. But for some reason in Ho Chi Minh, I felt quite comfortable just hopping on a scooter and just kind of cruising, cruising through the city. Yeah, awesome. Well, uh, thank you so much for uh, for for doing this interview. Uh, I think uh, it was really interesting. And uh, are you going to be in Ho Chi Minh City for the foresee- foreseeable future? Um, I plan to live there indefinitely. Um, I actually just bought an apartment too, so I'm excited for that. But I don't get the keys for another couple of years. Um, yeah, I'll be, out, I'll be out there for a while. So, Awesome. Well, I'll definitely let you know uh, if I'm coming down. And I probably will at some point. And uh, to all the listeners, uh, thanks for listening. And we'll, uh, we'll be back next week. We'll see you then. Get paid for your pet. 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 Get paid for your pet.